I know one thing about my preaching ministry is that I may select a text without realizing where it's going to take me or the complications it's going to bring to my preparations and into my own life. The end of our text in Hebrews 1 verse 14 is a one time only in the Bible phrase. Inherit salvation. Now, you know that I'm going to talk about adoption and all of that, but in this passage, because we're going to have a two and a half month transition before we get to chapter two, because see, chapter two is one of those chapters that starts off, therefore, in other words, everything that we've looked at in chapter one is therefore, and then he's going to dive into the rest of the book. And so as we think about the idea of inherited salvation and his, the technical term is hermeneutics, the way you interpret scripture. Because what you see in this letter to Jewish believers is a way that people in the New Testament can look back and use the Old Testament Because he reaches back to seven different psalms in this chapter that lead him to inherit salvation. Now, inheritance is something that that drives a lot of stories. Some of the modern ones are Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones. But Dickens, Jane Austen, Victorian novelists all have those inheritance things. Americans were introduced to the laws of inheritance in Downton Abbey, where only a son could inherit. But yet, if you go back to uh, 1066, that was about inheritance. The War of the Roses, the transition from James VI to James I between bringing Scotland and England together, again, inheritance, the Jacobites, the Hanoverans, it's all of those You think about what happens when you are born in a country. Most of the time, you inherit citizenship. I say most of the time because I know that when we were living, I don't know if their laws have changed, but we were living in Germany in the early 90s. If you were of Turkish descent born in Germany, you were classified as a Turk, not as a German. The countries have their own rules about inheriting citizenship. Now, before we get into the text, I also want to remind you that if this is written to Hebrews who have become Christians, people with the Bible, think about the role that inheritance had in terms of the classification of that 400 years in Egypt. Joseph was declared by the Pharaoh to be higher than anybody else in his family, anybody else in the nation. He was second only. He was given the power, the authority, the glory. Then, you come to the end. And Moses is pulled out of the water, 
and adopted by the Pharaoh's, pulled out of the water and adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. So that he becomes part of the household of the Pharaoh. And so the battle is over, is his Pharaoh lineage going to win out or is his Hebrew lineage? And we know that the Hebrew inheritance wins out. And so to say that our salvation is part of an inheritance that comes through the Son from the Father. This father-son relationship that we see in this chapter that we see in the Bible goes back to the idea of the very beginning of proclaiming the covenant with Abraham when you go to Genesis 15 and after he wins this great battle, what's his concern? I don't have anybody that's going to inherit everything that I've worked for and won. Eleazar of Damascus is going to get it, but what is God's response? On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the river of Euphrates. It was about inheritance. See, the whole Jewish mind would have had this idea of inheritance. See, sometimes in the modern world, people feel entitled rather than gracious. I know people that have been inherited land. I know people, my, great, my grandfather, I've told you this story, he wanted out of his family so he didn't get part of the inheritance with the business. When I think about inheritances that I relieve, they are more on the line of what in America we call hand-me-downs. But they're still special. I still have handsaws that my grandfather used. I'm backing up in my mind. Somewhere around the 1900s, early 1900s. Because he went to a, um, what we, we, it was a, a technical school which got you ready to do, be a, a carpenter or a brick maker. He learned all kinds of skills before he said, no, I'm going to go be a, a civil engineer. But he learned all that. But he had these tools. I have his bricklaying level. And every time I see that, I think about my grandfather. Did we bring it, Celeste, the two-potted teapot, the two-spotted teapot? We, we, have, we have a two-spotted teapot that we believe was brought by somebody in the family from England that people that have seen it say, oh, that would have been given as a wedding gift. To symbolize, you know, pouring, you know, the two things. But it, it's one of those old things that you have. I think that the thing that I wish I could have as an inheritance, but I know I won't because I'm not in the best line for it. In my family, I am named for Frederick Sela Sanford. His great-grandfather came from England and was a blacksmith. 
The man I was named after was a blacksmith. But the one that came from England has this big three by three on sheepskins warrant signed by Queen Victoria. Because if you were a blacksmith in the 1840s in England, or 50s, I forget which, when it was, you had to have a license from the crown because guess what blacksmiths could make? Weapons. They could pour metal, they could do things, you know, they could do all kinds of handmade things. And so somebody in my family is going to have that passed down. And I don't know, you may have things that are passed down or land or something in your family that you receive because of your parents, because of who you are. But to think of our salvation as a family gift. Now, when we look at this passage, the father-son relationship is proclaimed in ancient scripture. It's proclaimed in the, in, in the Psalms in our becoming the father's children in a hostile world. See, a lot of people probably think that, oh, the father-son, the description that is given in the gospel, that that's something new. But when you look back in this passage, and the first one goes back to Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Because they're saying, you know, God never did that to the angels because he's separating Jesus out from the angels. Because angels had a very important part in the redemptive history of the Jewish people. In the beginnings and even into the book of Acts. But yet the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that this father-son relationship is something that's eternal. Or again from Psalm 89 verse 26, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a my son. Or as it says in Psalm 110, to which of his angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. You see, that ancient father-son relationship that is there in the Psalms that was something that was part of their singing and their worship and their memory. I think often we don't have an appreciation for the Psalms in the life of the Jewish people. Because they were a people of memory. Not a, you know, today, what are we? We're a people of search. Why should I memorize it when I can just find it? But the things that touch our hearts, like poetry and music and psalms and, and hymn tunes. See, did you, I don't know if anybody laughed, I wasn't looking, I was looking at Celeste. She gave you the formal name of the hymn tune. But as soon as we said Danny Boy, everybody goes, oh yeah, I know that. Because it's in your mind, it's in your heart. We need to understand in the book of Hebrews what is happening in its revelation of our relationship to God in reminding us of this ancient, rooted in the Psalms, rooted in who God is in relationship to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Because, see, we lost something when we were pushed out of the garden when we rebelled against God. We turned against the Creator who is our Father because He has created us. But see, the writer goes on and he presses something else about the Son's divinity. The Son's divinity is demonstrated through worship by both angels and the Father's children. Psalm 97 says, let all God's angels worship him. You see, that's one of the things in our claims about who Jesus Christ is, that he is not only our Redeemer, our Savior, but he is the one that we worship. The Christianity isn't just about learning to feel good, it's about worship. It's about who gets worshipped in this world. There are a lot of people, a lot of ideas, movements, all kinds of things that want to be in the glory headlines. And we go back and we're reminded that the angels... And see, that's one of the things about... God's worship is we realize that it's not just us worshiping here. It's the angels in heaven. Remember the one in Isaiah? The ones who say, holy, holy, holy. So our relationship with the Father through the Son is about worship. See, this is not just something we add on to our life. This is what we become in our life. We are identified as the worshipers of the true and living God because of who the Son is. And the writer of Hebrews again and again, and when you look at, depending upon how your Bible is laid out, you're going to see in almost every chapter, you're going to see Old Testament quotes. See, one of the things about the book of Hebrews is it teaches you how to look back and see Christ in the Old Testament, how to look back and bring it forward and see it belongs to you, that there really is only one story. Those people that today in modern world, and I won't say Christianity, because I don't think you can biblically figure out how to uncouple the Old and the New Testament, because the New Testament keeps us reaching back to its roots. And that's one of the things we need to understand is that we're going to worship the true and living God. We must read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We must listen to everything he has said because he is the one to be worshipped. And then we join with the angels to worship the Son. And then we come back to verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? See, angels are there to serve us as we get to our salvation. As we look at other parts of this passage and other Psalms that are here, you know, The Son is the one who's the creator. The Son is the one who's eternal. 
It gives us some information about angels, but it gives us more information about the sun. And I realize that in our context, very few modern Christians get confused about should I worship Christ or about the angels. But see, even the angels are there to serve the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. The only way you inherit something is if someone who has the ability gives you something. That you have a right to it. And you see, that's one of the things that's so valuable about the covenant in the beginning of it. And when it says in Genesis 12 that I'm going to bless you and you're going to bless your family and all the families on the earth, that it's passed down, that we give it away, that we inherit salvation, not just to keep it for ourselves, to make us feel good and make our family look good or whatever, but it's to be passed on. We are like those angels. We are to be messengers. We are to serve those that the gospel is being brought to. That I have my salvation because I have inherited it. Because my father has adopted me and brought me back into his family. You know that I think adoption is one of the most powerful images of grace that is woven into the gospel, woven into the New Testament and the Old Testament writings. But here, as we get ready to sit on chapter 1 and wait for two and a half months to come back to chapter 2, what I want you to have in your mind to encourage you each day is that you have your salvation because you inherited from a father who loves you. A father who sent his son to die on the cross for you. And so while it is a once in the Bible phrase, and that's what it makes it so scary about preaching on a once in a Bible phrase because you don't want to get it wrong because you don't have anything else to compare it to. But yet when you see the writer dipping into the book of of Psalms, going back seven times and bringing it up and telling us about the Father, about the Son, about more important than the angels. There in verse 13, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. See, that's what Pharaoh did to Joseph. That's what the father did to the son. Remember last week we started long ago and in many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. All of these verses are meant to strengthen and encourage your faith. They're also meant to get you back into the Bible. If your faith is flat, if your faith is 
that is having doubts, the thing is to go back into the scripture, go back and see what God has to say. See, it's when we begin to think that God has nothing to say that the doubts come in, the darkness comes in, the discouragement comes in. We have scripture, we have God's Holy Spirit, we have angels and each other to encourage us with the word of God to remind us that indeed we are here to inherit salvation. Let us pray.